Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. Today we're discussing 2024 comedy Drugstore June. It was written by Ezra Pavitsky, and it was written and directed by our guest today, Nicholas Goosen. It stars Ezra Pavitsky, Bobby Lee, Miranda Cosgrove, and Haley Jo Osmond. It is exclusively in theaters on February 23rd. And joining us today is our special guest, director Nicholas Goosen. Hey, Nicholas. <laughs> Hi. Well, thank you for joining us today. Can you get started by telling us a little bit about what you do in the entertainment world? My name is Nicholas Goosen. I am a writer, producer, director. On this movie, I was also the editor. Yes. Fantastic. And what kind of projects have you worked on? I'm mostly known for comedy, probably most well-known for a film I directed called Grandma's Boy. Yes, a classic. <laughs> thank you. But I've done a, a lot of television, commercials, music videos. Um, and this is my third feature film. Awesome. Fantastic. So can you tell us just your path for this career, just sort of your background, kind of how you got where you are today, just things, different things you did leading up to it? Uh, sure. I mean, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, a uh, third generation native, and my family's in the boxing business. So I, I kind of grew up in a boxing gym and going to a lot of boxing events. You know, my family were also pretty big cinephiles. The boxing world and the movie world, I feel like they kind of go hand in hand. Boxing might be the most cinematic yeah. sport. A lot yeah. of Hollywood types. And so, you know, I was kind of born around it, raised around it. I've been wanting to do it since I was a kid. And, and my family used to make a lot of like goofy parody videos with each other. Oh. And, and we would all kind of gather around the TV and watch those. And I had, oh. I had seen how the entire family would show so much attention to these things that that the cousins would make or something yeah. uh, goofy exorcist parodies or whatever and i was like hmm i want people to look at my stuff i want that kind of right. attention because i'm certainly not going to be a boxer and i'm certainly not going to be a trader i wasn't going to go <laughs> for the family business i'm not tough enough so that's kind of how i feel like the the seed was planted in my head early on and i i really never wavered off that Nice. Fantastic. So how did you sort of make the transition then from, you know, coming from that kind of background to, to really getting into the film world? I started, I, I got a few jobs um, as a teenager on some sets. Somebody needed to shoot at a boxing gym and my dad would say, sure, you know, just give my son a job on the movie. Yeah. 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 Kind of how it would happen. And um, my uncle on my mom's side, non-boxing related was also a location manager here in town for many years so there was a little i had some connections like i said i was born and raised here which i, I feel like right. is, an, is something that you want to do because you're here in your home base and right out of high school i got a job on a movie called the wedding singer i had yeah. just been denied to usc film school oh wow uh, which was the only place i had uh, applied yeah uh, I only wanted to go to USC film school. It was a, it wasn't going to be USC. I think it, it, it was nothing else. And in my head, and uh, so I was going to junior college with plans to transfer. Got an internship on the Wedding Singer through my uncle. And day one, I met Adam Sandler. He walked right yeah. up to me. I was holding some film mags, wearing a Michael Jordan jersey. Nice. When he came back, the black Jordan jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
he asked me if I wanted to play basketball that day at lunch and we did and it kind of progressed from there. I became friends with everybody and a couple of years later I was one of the first Happy Madison employees. Nice. We started that on the set of Little Nikki, which I was a I was a PA on and the director's assistant on. Wow. And it wasn't until 2005, right? So The Wedding Singer was in 97. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 2005 that I directed Grandma's Boys. So you can say it was basically eight years there. I was film school and then a master's program. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Before I was able, because I, I worked on basically every Happy Madison movie in that time. Nice. From 97 to 2005 in various capacities. So that's really how I made the transition. Now, along the way... I was always shooting stuff and making my yeah. own things. And I was uh, in charge of doing a lot of small things at Happy Madison before the Grandma's Boy thing came about, which, sure. was, which was developed completely internally at Happy Madison. Yeah. Very cool. So speaking of Happy Madison, working there so long, um, what, it's, what was it like to watch that company grow? I mean, just getting to see it from the beginning. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, all-encompassing. It was just my entire life. I mean, it was 24-7, basically. Yeah. I mean, I was, again, I was only, I was 18 when I started. I was still living at my parents' house. But yeah, no, my entire young adulthood was with, you know, coming up with Adam and, and that whole run. And it was incredible. And, you know, I learned so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, by the time I got to Grandma's Boy, you know, half the crew were, were people who I had known for years Right. So I was very comfortable. But yeah, no, it was incredible. I always knew, uh, you know, I kind of got in before the the insane superstardom. And I just I knew right away that this guy is completely different. He is uh, he's not simply an actor. Uh, You know, he he, he does it all and he's a true filmmaker. So a lot of people didn't understand that at the time why I was so all in on Happy Madison and they didn't, under, I, I guess I could kind of see by the way Adam was that I don't see this slowing down anytime. Yeah. Soon. yeah. So That's fantastic. It was, it was radical. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And how did you then get involved with Drugstore June, your new film? Well, I had been friends with Esther for a while. We, uh, we had met in 2012 and we had worked on several projects at Comedy Central. I did a lot of work at Comedy Central in the 2010s. She had been a part of a few of those projects and I was just a big fan of hers. I had met, I had found her through a, a comedian named Brody Stevens. I had heard her on a podcast and I just found her fascinating. Her voice just immediately just was mesmerizing to me. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I got a kick out of how she could rile up men, mm-hmm. especially Brody at the time. And uh, she could just say a, a simple little thing and, and get everybody all heated. And I think that was part of their bit. So we just wanted to create a vehicle for Esther. We were talking about TV stuff for a while, but then she got a show on Freeform. And then it was kind of when peak TV was kind of starting and it's very competitive. And so we were like, okay, well, now everybody else is doing TV. Let's just go the opposite way and let's write a movie. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, uh, seemed very far-fetched at that time, which I, I mean, I literally think we started talking about this or doing it, like the very beginnings of it in 2017 or 2018. Yeah. Wow. And the script wasn't finished until sometime after we did the special, uh, Hot For My Name at Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
which was essentially a sizzle piece for the yeah. movie. Right. And that was kind of always our plan all along. Let's do a special that isn't just stand up so that we can show people what like the world of Esther and how yeah. this could be a movie if somebody understood it, which like Richard Roper reviewed the special and said, I want to see a movie of this. <laughs> awesome. Like, well, little do you know, Richard. Yeah. We're, we're, that's exactly what we want to do. So Drugstore Gin was completely built from the ground up to be an Esther Pavitsky vehicle. And that was the inception of it. It was, it was just, we had been working together. We were friends. I knew that she was really funny. And I just always believed that she could be the lead. I just felt like if I'm as amused and fascinated by her, yeah. then other people will be too. And she's just gotten a lot more popular since that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, watching the film, it is just funny watching her interact with everyone. I mean, there's points where I like... I almost forgot what the story was in a good way because I was just having so much fun just watching her interact with all these insane situations, all these characters, like just like you said, like just completely driven by her character. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. And you guys really got like a who's who of the yeah. comedy world yeah, to come in <laughs> and play like tiny parts. Yeah, this is awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, we got lucky with that. As you can, you know, Happy Madison has a long history yeah. of yes. Like that so and also all things comedy obviously is in- incredibly tied into the comedy world and jordan elner who i had worked with at comedy central he's a, a producer on the movie and works at all things comedy now so they totally understood that way of putting a movie together and it was written to have a lot of cameo opportunities because it, yeah. so it was, it was pretty deliberate de- uh deliberately constructed to be able to do that which if you had seen my previous movie, Grandma's Boy, or, or you know, that it had that kind of ensemble right. feel. Right. Well, and like, like I said, Happy Madison has a long history of kind of doing yeah. that. So it just yeah. seemed like second nature. And that, yeah. that part came easy. We were now we were lucky to get all those people. Obviously, the June part was written for Esther, but the Bill part was written for Bobby, always for, yeah. from the beginning. Oh, cool. So it was always Bobby. We never had anybody else in mind. Uh, besides Bobby and even the Jonathan role was written for Brandon Wardell Mm -hmm. it was never nobody else was ever considered for that role so we kind of started with that with with a a bit of a core and expanded outwards from there so yeah but we were lucky shooting here in LA uh, certainly helps to get everybody to show up for a day right head back home after yeah not a lot of travel time yeah (laughs) yeah I also want to talk about the music in the film. So there's a lot of music, a lot of songs featured that are from bands that you've worked with in the past on music videos. So was that kind of cross collaboration really facilitated just by your history with those people that made it easier to get them to want to work on the film? Um, Well, the music video stuff, I mean, that's, you know, I only work with people who I like and, and, you know, appreciate their music. Oftentimes, you know, those are real shoestring budgets too, but yeah, certainly when you're making a small movie like this, where music is usually very hard to come by and it's usually yeah. half, uh, we knew there was going to be a lot of needle drops in this. I don't think people expected to be this many, which I think everybody was a bit, uh, they were very nervous at having to clear all this music, but I knew that be- because these were people that I had relationships with and I had yeah. my friends, even some of the people who maybe I haven't made music videos for, I knew their, their, their managers or uh, I knew them personally. So, yeah, that was just a decade of however long since I've been making music videos now officially since 
2007, I suppose. And so mm-hmm. that, that, that was me going around going, hey, can we please, yeah. please can we use this music? And obviously one of the biggest names on there is Julian Casablancas and The Voids. Right. And, you know, I, I had done a couple music videos for them and Julian is a big comedy fan and he's been really supportive and a couple of the other guys from the band that gave us some of their music. And so that, that was a bit of, yeah, hey, I need a favor now. Uh, I've waited a couple of years, so I yeah. saved it for my time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good thing to point out because um, this is an indie comedy. So, right. you know, when you're making an indie film, you do have to, having those good relationships from your past helps, you know, get the job done. They're really valuable, so. Yeah, it, it definitely helped because yeah. I can't imagine cold emailing some of these uh, record labels and expecting a, a response yeah. if I didn't know the artist right. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, this is where it does help if you're going to make a movie to have made a bunch of music videos because you are going to need some music for your movie. Yeah, right. If you're making this type of film anyway. Yeah. Right. So what is the most challenging part of either directing or, you know, working on any kind of the projects you worked on, Nicholas? What's the most challenging part of your job? Raising money? Yeah. Um, so go about that. Well, this is the first time where I really was kind of, uh, I mean, and certainly I had a lot of help, but even with a lot of the people attached to the project, it wasn't that easy to raise the money. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of no's, a lot of no's. You know, the money, uh, eventually the budget was raised independently with a few people and, and Shout Studios, very grateful to them for coming in and putting in the bulk of the budget and now helping us release the movie. It, it, it took a minute. People weren't necessarily ready to, th- even just uh, the, the low budget that we had, you know, I just, people were a little reluctant to bet on comedy right. and on new people. It, it takes a lot of convincing for, to, to get people to, to part with that cold, hard cash. So you really have to have everything lined up. If you're trying to make something like this, yeah, it's not easy. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of uh, hat in hand and budgeting. I do think that the future of of these theatrical comedies, it's going to be having to make things very much cheaper, much faster, um, with less, and getting people to, you know, do it for maybe less upfront for, you know, more risk and more reward. Right. I'm really happy that we're coming out in movie theaters. Um, yeah. Which in itself, that, that's a bit of a risk, too, compared to just selling to a streamer uh, for some sort of big number up front. The hardest thing is raising money. That's what yeah, I was, for sure. that was the question. Raising money and going around and convincing people to, to give you millions of dollars to go yes. make something like this. Yeah. <laughs> but the reward can be huge for those yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. no, and that's yeah. why I'm so appreciative to the people yeah. who did end up funding the movie, because we basically went to everybody in town. Yeah, sure. Um, and then you mentioned filming things faster. 19 days. 19 days. So what was that shooting schedule like, especially with all these cameos, like just coordinating those schedules? That was tough. That was tough yeah. because it, we had to shoot in a way. I mean, you know that movies are shot out of order all the time. Yeah. Right. Uh, the way that we had to, the order we, in which we shot this, I was really, a, I was not a fan of. You know, day one, the first thing we're shooting is Esther kissing Danny Griffin. Like, hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> make out spoil the movie but yeah it was tricky getting everybody's schedule to align along with the locations along with everything else so uh yeah that was a lot of a lot of planning 
a lot of organization. And I have to thank Pablo Gambetta, my first AD, our first AD, who's actually nominated. He, he does the bear. Um, he's nice. first, the bear. Yeah. Um, we were lucky to get him out of Chicago. He came and, and did the job and Kristen Plowsha, our UPM and you know, all the, the producing team. But yeah, that, that was very tricky getting people there in time and, and, Certain people we lost because of that, and it was always a, a, a give and take. The simplest answer is it was a tremendous amount of organization yeah. and a tremendous amount of planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In 19 days, you couldn't even just from a shooting perspective, you don't have to, like if you're if you do one setup in the wrong position, yeah, you're kind of screwed because you're shooting so much in one day. Right. Really got to be careful about the order that you're shooting in, um, even just getting, once you're there on the day and at the location and you've gotten everybody there, just even, like I said, just going through the scenes, making sure that you're covering it in the way that is cool. And obviously you're telling the story of the movie in the way that you want to, but also just literally getting all the shots you need, all the coverage. So we talked about the challenge of the film. Were there any moments from set or just from the making of the movie that are just a favorite moment or a moment that really sticks out in your mind where I like, I can't believe this is what I'm getting to do for a living right now? Oh, uh, probably when we were shooting some of that gummy bear stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it looked really fun. That was when I think everybody at one point kind of went, what the hell are we doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on? I think that was probably one of the uh, weirdest moments on set. Yeah. Like the, the entire crew was just like laughing at like when we put the thing in the uh, in the walker. Yes. Some of those shots because they were it just it would just look weird on set and like what are we doing? <laughs> That's yeah. Well, Nicholas, what advice do you have for people who want to get either into directing, into you know working their way up in films, or the indie world itself? If you want to be a director, I mean, I feel like now it seems like it's it's easier to practice than ever because of the technology. I would just suggest shooting uh, short films, shooting yeah. music videos, music videos, short films. It's how I started as a little kid, making parody movies, just like my cousins did, using my sisters as actors, you know, or my cousin, my other cousins, my dad, whatever. And then eventually making them with your friends and then eventually making them with other people. Obviously a f- film school could help with that. If you can't go to film school, I suggest getting a PA job or uh, an extra job and just being on sets because that is probably the best way outside of just making your own stuff is being on sets with actual professional people and watching them do it. Mm-hmm. Learning how sets operate. I would say that it's literally making stuff. I, I've never stopped making stuff. I just learned a tremendous amount making this movie. Did I, I learned a lot on my first movie. I learned a lot on my second movie. I, I, every day, even just working on the release of the movie, I'm, I've, I'm learning more and honing my abilities for the next project. I would have never been able to make Drugstore June had I not made all those music videos, had right. I not made all those specials at Comedy Central on the digital series and commercials and... Uh, and I wouldn't have been able to make those had I not been making the Adam Sandler shorts with his dog in the early 2000s or and before that, the short films with my cousin. So it's all just building blocks. It's just like an athlete. It's reps. And now with YouTube and stuff where you can just put your stuff out there and even pay, maybe paid or make money off of your practice stuff. I mean, it seems like a great pathway to me. Um, but yeah. 
making your own stuff and then working on things if you can with other people. Great. That's great advice. Mm -hmm. Well, Nicholas, what is the movie about? Drugstore June is about a millennial who's a bit lost in life. She still lives at home with her parents and can't get over her ex-boyfriend. Terminally online. Mm -hmm. One day she maybe gets the break that she needs to evolve and grow up. And it just so happens that that, that break happens to be a break in. A robbery of her of her workplace. So her, her pharmacy is robbed and Lee suspect that it perhaps is an inside job and have their eye on her and her boss, the pharmacist, Bill. And so June takes it upon herself to figure out who's, who robbed the pharmacy, clear her name, clear her boss's name, and at the same time, maybe get over her ex-boyfriend and perhaps get off of her parents' phone plan. <laughs> yeah. Thinking but, about it. <laughs> and, uh, and I love a film where, you know, anyone's playing detective who's not a real yeah, detective. Yeah, it's always entertaining. Um, it's a little fun. Some of our big inspirations for the movie, and, and they might seem different, but The Big Lebowski, I don't know if yeah. that's playing into you guys, but that's one of my favorite comedies of the past. Absolutely. And people, and that has that kind of lazy yes. detective vibe. and. Yes. Adventures in Babysitting was another reference, yeah. like the mm -hmm. one night type of thing with a girl who's in places where she shouldn't be. And then, you know, clerks, maybe yes. because of the just kind of uh, customer service yeah. um, a register type thing. Um, those are great inspirations. Yeah, I definitely see what mentioned that list. I can see the influence of all those movies in this one. Now that you're pointing out, like very clear. I think it's really yeah. good. Yeah, I love Adventures in Babysitting. I haven't seen that movie for a long time. It's so good. So Adventures in Babysitting opens with that song, I think, by the Ronettes. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Which was produced by Phil Spector. And what do we open our movie with? A Phil Spector produced song, Girls Can Tell, <laughs> uh, by the Dixie Cups. So, I mean, one-to-one -one type yes. of... <laughs> uh, we nailed our opening the way that they did chris columbus who uh, you know i got to meet chris columbus uh, oh, cool. once with adam when he was directing pixels and i all i wanted to talk to him about was adventures in babysitting yeah yeah, yeah. people are like oh the harry potter movies i'm like no no, no adventures in babysitting yeah. uh, so even that way it was like oh god I love the way that Phil Spector just opens up the movie and the yeah. that wall. And you know, how do we get some of that magic? We came around to that song, and so yes. that's how deep some of the the uh, inf influences go. Yeah, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah. I do want to mention it does come out. Uh, Drugstore June comes out in theaters February twenty third. So make plans to see it. Check it out. February twenty third in New York and LA, and then a nationwide expansion across the country on March first. Perfect. Yes. Awesome. We like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling Unlikely Detectives. In honor of Drugstore June, we're going to see how well both of you know films where a character takes the role of a detective, but they're not a real detective. So Nicholas and Susan, you'll be playing as a team. So here are the rules. I've given each of you a list of well-known movies. You will take turns describing the movie's characters, settings, plots to each other as quickly as you can, but you cannot use the title of the film. You will have one minute to get your partner to guess as many as possible. And if you get five correct, then Nicholas will win our prize. And Susan, what's our prize? Live in the credits merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> Very exciting. All right. So, Nicholas, are you ready to play? 
Yeah. Whenever you are ready, you can give your first clue. Okay, first clue. Richard Highsmith, cartoonist, San Francisco, uh, cartoonist for a paper, trying to solve a, a series of murders, directed by David Fincher. Oh, uh, Mark Ruffalo. Oh, um, oh my God. This is think astrology. Yeah, no. Zodiac. Zodiac, Zodiac. Yeah. Um, All right, so um, this movie is really well known for its accents, Minnesota accent. Fargo. Uh, yes, yep, two yeah. points. Uh, this is, again, another David Fincher film with Mr. James Bond. He goes up into the, the serial killers, got the, the nicest house you've ever seen. And then he uh, also with Rooney Mara. It's a remake of, a, of another film. Got the craziest haircut. She rides a motorcycle. I don't remember. I, I, I'm like blanking on this name. Yes, you do. Oh, my I God. I know. So this is Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike. Yep, yep, three points. Keep going. Yeah, uh, so uh, like my sweater. Is the oh, the dude. Uh, not the dude. <laughs> Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah. four points. Yeah. All right. Um, this guy doesn't remember anything, so he has to write everything down on his body. Yeah. Yes, and this time. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That was what close. was the one? What was the Rooney? The, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, my God. I can't believe I spaced on that yeah. one. <laughs> I read all those books like multiple yeah. I said Rooney Mara, too. That should have given I know. One. That should have done it. I just blamed James Bond, Rooney Mara, dude. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One of my favorite, I was just telling somebody this the other day. He's like, one of my favorite parts of that movie is when <laughs> the killer is like, why did you even come in here? You were just yeah. crazy. Well, did I win? Yes, you won. We got him. Yeah. Easily. So well done, Nicholas. Right at the edge of the time. Yeah. Drugstore in June is out in select theaters, February 23rd, and then nationwide release March 1st. So make sure you yes. go to see it. Check it out. It's very, very funny. Very good character work in it, too. So yes, tickets available at drugstorejune.com. Perfect. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute yeah. pleasure. Yeah, this was great. You guys, that was fun. You got me. Uh, that got me going. My juices. Oh, good. Credits hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner, and me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. The killer is like, why did you even come in here? You were just yeah. <laughs> you were crazy? Why didn't you run? <laughs>